evidence and answers. What are we to think about today's society? Civil unrest is everywhere. People are not kind. They're fast to judge and create dissension. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat will be sharing a message entitled, Civility in Uncivil Times. If you're unable to hear this broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat with today's message. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, the angry and hateful rhetoric and conduct we're seeing in the media should have us all concerned. The kind of rhetoric not only inspires animosity, but also divides a nation. And a divided nation cannot stand. Victor Hansen from the National Review writes, America is no more immune from collapse than were some history's most stable and impressive consensual governments. Fifth century Athens, Republican Rome, Renaissance Florence and Venice, and many of the elected governments of the 20th century Western European states eventually destroyed themselves, went bankrupt or were overrun by invaders. The United States is dividing as rarely before. History is not very kind to multicultural chaos as opposed to multiracial society united by a single national culture. The fates of Rwanda, Iraq, and the former Yugoslavia should remind us of our present disastrous trajectory. Either the United States will return to a shared single language and allegiance to a common and singular culture, or it will eventually descend into clannish violence. So the rhetoric and the conduct that we are seeing out there. For example, Madonna's speech at the Women's March in January of 2017, where she said, yes, I'm angry. Yes, I'm outraged. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Kathy Griffin, the comedian, displaying a picture of the severed, bloodied head of President Donald Trump. Or a theater company that performed the mock execution of Trump into a Shakespearean play Shakespeare in the park or the NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors, deciding not to go to the White House if invited for their victory in the NBA. We should be very concerned about what we're seeing in the country today. And there are some extreme cases, such as the shooting we saw in Alexandria, Virginia, of several Republican members of Congress being shot at by an angry opponent. Although an extreme case, the conduct and the rhetoric that we are seeing around the country today should have us concerned. One of the virtues that is missing in our country today is what we call civility. The lack of civility is the result of losing character, key character qualities that make for a strong civilization. Now let me define the word civility for you. The word civility shares the same etymology with words like civilized and civilization. So quite simply, the root word means to be a member of a household. So just as there are certain rules that allow family members to live peacefully within a household, so there are rules of civility that allow us to live peacefully within a society. 
we have to understand that we have certain moral responsibilities to God and to one another. Now, the basis of civility is built on several biblical principles. Jesus simply expressed the goal of civility when he said this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. When Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we truly love God and we love our neighbors, then we should be governed by moral standards that express concern for others and willingly limit our own freedom. When we understand that we are accountable to a God, and therefore we are to be concerned for all beings created by God, the world, we must understand, does not revolve around me. We live in this world that God created, and we live in it together, and therefore we have responsibilities to one another and our conduct that we have towards one another. Another biblical principle is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus stated, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Civility also acknowledges the value of another person, even though they may not treat you civilly. We are called to rise above and treat the other person with respect and dignity. Jesus was the best example of that, who treated his enemies with dignity and respect, even though they did not display those qualities towards him. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verse 26, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So we can be angry and passionate about our convictions, but that does not give us the right to act irresponsibly or talk irresponsibly. We must show self-control and respond in a civil manner. So politeness and manners are not merely to make social life easier. Stephen Carter, in his book on civility, says that our actions and sacrifice are a signal of respect for our fellow citizens, marking them as full equals, both before the law and before God. Rules of civility are thus also rules of morality. It is morally proper to treat our fellow citizens with respect and morally improper not to. Our crisis of civility is part of a larger crisis of morality. And I think Stephen Carter nails it right on the head here that our problem seeing the lack of civility in the public arena is a moral problem and a serious moral problem we have in the country today where there is a lack of virtue and quality character you're going to see a lack of civility, the ability for people to dialogue with one another, even on their differences, in a respectful and civil manner. The root of that is the loss of character and the loss of virtue. It is indeed a moral issue and a serious moral issue that must be confronted in our culture today, lest we disintegrate lest we disintegrate as other nations have fallen before. Now, what are some reasons for a decline in civility? Well, Kirby Anderson, in his article on civility, names a couple of compelling reasons. The first reason Kirby Anderson states is the reason for a decline is self-centeredness. 
more and more people live for themselves and do not feel they are morally accountable to anyone, even God, for their actions and behavior. We're constantly given the message, look out for number one and not to let anyone limit our freedom to be ourselves. And secondly, the whole teaching of the relativism of truth, there's no such thing as absolute truth, leads to a moral relativism. There's not a universal moral law code that we are all under. Our morality and how we conduct ourselves is determined by each individual. An increasing majority in our society no longer believes in moral absolutes or an absolute moral law code. They deny that absolutes of any kind exist, much less moral absolutes. So as our crisis of morality unfolds, so does the barbarism and decadence. Civility, then, is what is lost as a result. And I think the ultimate source of this is a turning away from God. When you turn away from God, who is the source of truth, then you end up concluding that truth is rooted in man. And therefore, man creates truth. And since man is not all-knowing, man is a flawed creature, there's no way he can know all truth. You end up concluding truth is relative. Then you end up with moral relativism. And then you end up with a self-centered kind of focus in life. So as a result of turning away from God, we are suffering the consequences. In order to have truth, you must have a source of truth that is unchanging, that is infinitely wise, and therefore God can be the source of truth. If truth is rooted in God, then truth is absolute. And also, in order to have an objective, universal moral law code that all men and women are under, you must have a moral law giver. And if there is a God, then God has established a universal moral law code that is embedded within our conscience and revealed clearly in his word. But once you turn away from God, you reject the source of truth, and it's impossible to have a universal moral law code. How do you determine right and wrong? Well, you're going to have to say you end up coming down to a moral law code that is a might makes right kind of law code or a moral relativism. Each individual person decides right and wrong. And that's where we find ourselves disintegrating in America today. And any culture that goes down that path is drinking its own poison and going down a very self-destructive kind of path. Well, we must establish civility in the key areas of our society. There must be civility in the home, but more and more we're seeing dysfunctional families where a husband and wife do not treat each other with love and sacrificially care for one another. And that's the kind of examples that children grow up with and end up seeing as they reflect the values of their parents. We must have civility in schools. According to a 2013 article published by the American Psychological Association, 80% of teachers surveyed were victimized at least once in the current school year or prior year. Violence against teachers is a national crisis, says Dr. Dorothy Espelage of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, who served as chair of the APA Task Force on Classroom Violence Directed at Teachers. Contrast this situation with the nature of public education just a few decades ago. It is likely that when you and I grew up, you were instructed in manners and etiquette, and the day began with a pledge of allegiance to the flag, and throughout the day, you were instructed to show respect to your country, 
to your teachers and to your fellow classmates. Well, today when schools try to enforce rules of etiquette or teach discipline, parents or civil libertarians often oppose such plans. A few decades ago, teachers and parents shared similar values and together instilled virtues of respect, fear of God, respect for authority, discipline, and etiquette in schools. Today, those shared values and moral consensus is gone. Without a God, without acknowledging a universal law code coming from God, then it's impossible to have shared values and a moral consensus. So to rebuild civility in our society, we need to begin at home and with the next generation. But sadly, students today are not learning to respect authority, nor are they given character or moral values education. They're learning to disrespect authority and to play one set of values against another. In the political arena, politics is filled with negative ads and character assassinations. We must be able to dialogue and exchange ideas in a civil manner, especially when parties disagree. One great example was Martin Luther King. Now, according to Stephen Carter in his book, Civility, the leaders of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference knew that their protests would be met with violence because they were challenging a violently oppressive system. But they also knew that success would be found not through incivility, but through a display of moral courage. Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders trained their protesters to remain civil and even loving in the face of repression. He called this the process of purification and it involved both prayer and repeated reminders that the biblical injunction to love our neighbors is not a command to love only the nice ones. It's instructive to remember that the stated purpose of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference was to save the soul of the nation. And through their civil conduct, they were able to bring about remarkable change in our culture, which lasts even to this day. Well, how do we regain civility in our society today? The rise of rudeness and incivility cannot easily be changed. If the crisis is greater than the lack of manners, its solution must be found in a greater social change than merely teaching manners or character. David French writes in a National Review article, Free speech is among the most powerful forces in all human history. While it's not always true that the pen is mightier than the sword, it's absolutely true that the pen often inspires the hand that wields the sword. It foments revolutions, it motivates murderers, and radicalizes terrorists. Free speech is a key component in a democracy, but with that we must understand, with that kind of freedom comes tremendous responsibility. The American experiment is built on a concept that's rarely discussed in modern politics or education today, and that is ordered liberty. Edmund Burke famously and correctly argued that the only liberty that is valuable is a liberty connected with order. That only exists along with order and virtue, but which cannot exist at all without them. And that's something our founding fathers understood. John Adams stated that our constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people, and that is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He was getting at the point that you cannot have a moral law without a moral law giver. 
You cannot have a universal objective moral law code without a God who gives us that objective, authoritative, and universal standard. John Adams was saying, in order to have a truly free society, the people of that society must be good and able to responsibly govern themselves and govern their conduct. Without that, you're going to have more laws restricting freedom and you end up losing freedom and falling into tyranny. The answer then is not to restrict free speech and place more laws and more restrictions on free speech, but developing virtue and character in people who will take responsibility for their conduct and their speech. So the first step is that there must be a return to the belief in God and a healthy respect and fear of God. Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that all people, even those who oppose our ideas, are created in the image of God and worthy to be valued and respected. Our liberties are inextricably linked to our respect for order and the universal moral law of God. That's how the system should work. That's how it was designed to work. Without virtue and understanding that there are moral absolutes that govern all people, liberty will eventually disintegrate into disorder. And that's where we're heading now, from liberty to disorder. But in order to regain order once again, we shouldn't continue to restrict liberty. What we need to do is rebuild virtue. That means standing up for a deep truth, freedom carries with it responsibility. And that responsibility includes respecting the fundamental humanity and individual dignity, even of our greatest foes. And that can only come when there is a fear of God, an acknowledgement of the law of God, and that we value human beings, each one as created in the image of God, worthy of value, worthy to be respected and treated with dignity. So the ultimate solution is not more education or more money. The ultimate answer then is found in the spiritual. So ultimately, an increase in civility must flow out of a moral and spiritual change. Therefore, spiritual revival and reformation are the ultimate solutions to the current problem of incivility. When people once again come to a belief in God and then come to a healthy respect of God and that he's created all beings in his image so all beings are worthy of value and respect, but that God has also established a universal moral law that we are all accountable to. Then we can start rebuilding our values and instill that kind of character in people. And so it begins with spiritual revival. Bringing back civility in the public arena begins with a spiritual revival, a returning to God, the values of God, and the moral law of God. When it comes to restoring civility in our society, I believe Christians then should lead the way by their exemplary behavior. So in essence, Christians must be the best citizens and the best examples of civility in society in the way they treat one another and in the way that they treat the unbelieving world around them. 
There are many great examples of Christians acting in a godly way. Unfortunately, there are many who are not civil to one another. You know, I was in a church where the pastor often ridiculed those who had opposing views to him, name-calling parties he didn't like, calling the Democrats things like demon cats and others, denouncing other churches, ridiculing people that had different views from him. Now, there is a time where you should carefully critique and rightfully criticize policies that are unjust coming out of government or false teaching coming out of the church, but not in a demeaning, denigrating way and not one that presents false information, but in a civil way, presenting truth that is accurate in a loving and respectful way. Christians should display love for one another but also love for the lost world. The early Christians, you look at how Peter and Paul addressed the civil authorities. They did it in a very loving and respectful, but very strong manner in which they defended the claims of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the face of an unbelieving crowd. If we are to win the world to Christ and restore civility in our society, I believe it begins with the church living out the commands of Christ where Jesus said, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The church should lead the way in being examples of how they love one another, even those who oppose us. Also, The church should be an example of being responsible in how we speak and conduct ourselves. Proverbs 15.1 reminds us that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Though we have the freedom of speech, we should exemplify responsibility in how we speak and speak with one another, especially those who disagree with us. Next, civility requires the character quality of humility. A civil person acknowledges that he or she does not possess all the wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, they're willing to listen to others and consider the possibility that the other person may be right and that he or she is wrong. And therefore, we're called to refine or even change our position. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Civility also requires that we watch what we say. The Bible clearly warns us of the danger of the tongue. James chapter 3 verses 5 through 8 says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So James gives us a clear warning that we should also be careful and responsible in the way we deliver our words. So if Christians want to lead the way in reforming society and return to civility, we must set the example. An excellent model Kirby Anderson points out is William Wilberforce. Most people know Wilberforce 
as the man who brought an end to the British slave trade. He served for half a century in the House of Commons, and led by his Christian faith, he tirelessly worked for the abolition of slavery. But that was only one of the two great objects of his life. The other, even more daunting, was his attempt to transform the civil and moral climate of his times. So although he is known as an abolitionist, the other great accomplishment of his life was in the reformation of manners and a call to return to civility. He provides a great example of how Christians should engage the world. We should do so with courage, compassion, character, and civility. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.